You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. Well, the headlines uh, were a massive rollout of infrastructure, a new paradigm for energy, uh, an employment stimulus to create jobs and support livelihoods, renewed support to grow South African businesses, and fast-tracking reform measures for a competitive and inclusive economy. Crickets pretty much on the wage bill, apart from what I was just discussing with Tony Ehrenreich. I'm joined now by George Glenos, co-founder, director, and head of research at ETM Analytics, and Peter Attard Montalto, head of capital markets research at Intellidex. Welcome, guys. George, kick us off. Your first thoughts on the plan, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, okay, well, uh, you know, to, to, thanks for, for having me on. I, I think, firstly, just to say that uh, it, it was painful listening to Mr. Aaron Reich. I think he's way off the mark on, on how this country resolves its issues. And um, I, I just think there, there are a lot of fallacies that do the rounds on on, on in, in the media and get promoted by a very left-leaning, socialist-minded uh, policy um, uh, a policy stance, which I just don't think is borne out in, in practical reality. So, um, with that aside, um, you know, when I when I look at what I, I heard today, I was left I was left very unimpressed. I, I did not see anything more than a whole bunch of platitudes and bluster. Um, I think we need to stop rewarding with warm language economic ideas that actually should form the base minimum of what society should expect from a government. And I'm talking about, you know, welcoming things like reducing regulation and working more closely with the private sector and efficiently running institutions and reforming SOEs and talking about meritocracy and reprioritizing spending. I mean, really? Uh, you know, it, it implies that the spending was so poorly allocated all along what have we been doing for the past 10 years, you know? And, and to hear this again, because it's not the first time we've heard it, actually incenses me. I, I, get, I get really angry when I hear things like this because the writing's been on the wall on the fiscal front for a very long time. And um, one, one begs, the que- begs the question, why has it taken a crisis like this before we suddenly start paying attention? Is it simply because we've run out of fiscal room and now, you know, on, on the verge of having to knock on the IMF's door if we're not careful in the next couple of years that we, we've suddenly woken up to this reality? The truth of the matter is, and, I, and I've spoken to you guys before about this, these budgets have been very poor for a very long time. Government has, has been mismanaging this economy for an extremely long time. And um, to, to come up with something like this um, is, is a bit of an insult. I think they could have done a hell of a lot more, um, and, and I was left unimpressed. Why don't you tell us how you really feel, George? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I think many share your sentiments, uh, to be perfectly blunt. Peter, your thoughts on the, uh, the plan to implement a plan of another plan? Good evening. Well, if we approach this on its own terms, ultimately, um, I think it utterly failed. Uh, Ultimately, the point really was to convince on implementation uh, and on the ability of the state to drive forward reform, to deploy political capital uh, and to turn the ship around. Uh, And I think in those terms, uh, it completely missed the bar. So in raw policy terms, um, you know, with the launch of the employment stimulus package, um, with the uh, the thinking on infrastructure, uh, it was broadly okay. Again, on its own terms, I'm very doubtful that either of those will really 
move the macro dial, but sort of hit its own bar on its own terms. But the real thing where people had to be convinced and to give this a different vibe from the February and Sona was an implementation. Um, and as I said, there we, we ended up feeling very much like the Sona in February. I think the really damaging part of the speech actually was on energy policy. Um, and where it came across as quite mad, actually, and I think it sort of uh, actually damaged the president's credibility to talk about and to reassure the public about uh, solving the energy crisis in South Africa within two years. That simply isn't possible, uh, even with a very smooth procurement timeline uh, around the RMIPPP and REIPPP. That simply isn't going to happen in two years. And in reality, both those processes are probably going to end up being very delayed. Uh, and even if those two processes are successful, there is still probably a five gigawatt gap on the on the grid after that period anyway. So I think actually the energy part was pretty damaging uh, overall and actually ignored the excellent advice that was in the PIAC document. Uh, and ultimately, I think shows that the center of gravity on energy policy uh, is still located entirely in the wrong place with ministers that have ulterior motives. That stood out for me, having a look at uh, the Presidential Economic Advisory Council document ahead of this announcement. Uh, not much of the good common sense stuff on energy really flowed through into today's announcement, which is a concern. Uh, George, I want to come back to you on uh, on the issue of e- expenditure. And if you if you look at it, if you slice it up for every 10 rand of government expenditure, read taxpayer funds that are spent, more than 3 rand is spent on transfers, social transfers, um, grants and that kind of thing. 3 rand is spent on public servant salaries and 1 rand and a little bit of change on servicing debt. And the remaining 3 rand is supposed to cover things like infrastructure and goods and services and textbooks and, and, and to build schools and clinics. And transferring money from the wage bill to infrastructure really is a no-brainer. Did you see anything in this that, that gives you a sense that um, the president is going to have the guts to actually do that? No. Um, and, and, that's, and that's the point. That's exactly the point. Is that, I mean, what we need is for this government to shrink. What we need is for the overheads that this tax base is having to fund to decline such that we can utilize what money there is available, um, not on, on paying um, civil servants uh, that, that, uh, uh, that, that the money could be utilized far more efficiently in, in building um, a capital base in a country uh, which would, would assist in, in producing and promoting growth and efficiencies well into the future as opposed to just uh, you know being spent um inefficiently on 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 a public uh, uh, wage bill which is not giving this country any bang for its buck so the the, that public sector wage bill needs to shrink by something like 20 percent if not more uh in in order for me to to take these things seriously i mean what what i would have liked to have seen um is is talk of things like a fiscal rule which helps depoliticize government spending and makes it that much more difficult for a country to spend a lot more than, than it collects that, that aims to, to reduce um, uh, the, 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 the tendency for populist promises that, that constantly get uh, pushed, pushed uh, forward. I mean, we're still talking about the NHI. I can't, I can't believe that we're still talking about the NHI whilst we're running budget deficits that are likely to be something in the order of 17 and 18% and talking about debt levels that are going to go north of 100 in the mm. next couple of years if we're not careful. Just to stop you on that, uh, on that point, I want to get a response uh, here from Peter Todd-Montalto on, on fiscal rules. 
Well, I, mean, I think just to come back on the public sector wage bill issue, I mean, there are going to be some lovely numbers on um, wage restraint in the MTBPS. They're basically going to say that they are keeping nominal wages unchanged for three years. Now, that sounds great. That's a real uh, erosion uh, of, uh, of the wage bill. Um, but actually, it's completely unrealistic to expect that this is actually possible, uh, given the huge political uh, you know, uh, events and ebbs and flows that are going to go on in the coming uh, three years. And the public sector wage bill court case as well, which finally, finally will get going with its initial hearing in the Labour court on the 2nd of December. Um, and I think that's the problem of the risk here. So the budget in, in a few weeks will show, uh, you know, uh, say about 50 billion of additional public sector wage bill cuts. But the downside risk if the court case goes against them uh, is actually an extra 150 billion of, of spending. And, and this really shows the, the scale of the problem and the skewing risk on this issue and why you need ultimately to be strapped to the mast uh, in terms of some kind of fiscal rules. Now, uh, of course, the emergency budget, they promised a primary fiscal surplus in 2023, 2024. Uh, I think that's really realistically very unlikely. Um, but um, they also promised at the same time some kind of fiscal rule around debt. And we'll have to wait to see that. Treasury in the past has been very risk averse at strapping themselves to the mast. And uh, the the other issue as well is obviously um, tax morality in a country where if you look at the biggest shock thanks to the uh, lockdown-induced um, economic recession was a tax collapse, 304 billion rand. And even if you look at the additional funding from the World Bank and the other international financial institutions, that only amounted to about 80 billion in additional resources. So not even close to the tax revenue deficit that we've got. And uh, we've also had that daft ban on cigarette and alcohol sales alone costing the fiscus 10 billion over four months so it does mean government is for all intents and purposes spending money that it just doesn't have and has little prospect of generating through tax revenue in the short to medium term there are going to be lots of businesses out there who are reporting losses who are going to be carrying those losses over to subsequent years so we can't expect um, uh, taxes to to come and uh, rescue us now surely it has to all uh, rest on expenditure cuts well, the problem, I think, with thinking about just expenditure cuts is that if you do some proper zero-based budgeting, which Treasury sort of briefly opened the Pandora's box, I think, after June to have a look into this, um, and quickly shut it again, because you suddenly realise that the state should actually be spending vastly more on education, uh, on health, on things like the employment stimulus package uh, that was announced today. And in reality... Where we can agree with the unions, I think, is that, you know, the ultimate rescue is only from potential growth to expand that tax base. But ultimately, we have to be realistic uh, that even if you do all the right policies to boost growth, it's going to take some time. And as a result, you're going to need that expenditure restraint uh, in the short term to prioritize things like the social wage. And hence, the thing that is for the shop is the public sector wage bill. Uh, George, sorry, I think we we dropped your line for a second there. Um, uh, the the big issue for me was also confidence, uh, an ability in a marketplace that has lost its confidence in this government. Uh, there was a chance here to try and reignite confidence. Is there anything in this that uh, reignites confidence? Um, you know, so we, we we interact with with business people frequently on a daily basis, and. The one thing that uh, my interactions have, have shown me is that what, what, what business leaders more than anything are looking for is confidence, large investment that they sink into the country is going to be able to generate them meaningful returns well into the future. And we're not talking about 
one year or two years. We're talking about five, ten. These, these big in infrastructure, uh, these big investments that take place, whether it be in mining or, or um, engineering or construction, things like that, these require a, a, a certainty over the longer term that the things are, are going to be stable enough uh, to allow the business to be to 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 remain uh, profitable and for it to be a. Uh, um, a, 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 a venture that that creates value at the end of the day, and I, you know this is the problem: is that right now we don't have a fiscal outlook that inspires much in the way of confidence. So you know when when we when we see these debt trajectories moving in the way that they are, and um, we we talk about them being unsustainable, uh, unfortunately that message is resonating very strongly uh, with with leaders of business. And they are fearful of it. So what they land up doing is becoming a little more conservative. And that's what we need to overcome. And we don't overcome that by just talking about these things. We overcome that by implementing some real hard-hitting fiscal reforms that, uh, reduce, um, that re- reduce expenditures and, and make things sustainable long-term. And until such time as we get that right and we prove to the private sector that we are serious about doing that, I think confidence is going to take a while to recover. Yeah, um, two words come to mind. Atlas Shrugged. George Glenos, co-founder, director and head of research at ETM Analytics and Peter Todd Montalto, head of capital markets research at Intellidex uh, with their thoughts on the president's economic reconstruction and recovery plan. And that's a big fail from them.